Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. No Gavin today, but I have a great guest. It's football season, of course. So we're doing what's now becoming a yearly tradition of talking with the hosts of Locked On Jets and Locked On Giants. Today, I have the host of Locked On Jets as the uh, Jets fan in the Locked On Knicks contingent. And it is John Butchko of Locked On Jets and Gangrene Nation. We talk about all things Jets, but also how the Jets' current trajectory is pretty similar to the Knicks. How, you know, Zach Wilson is sort of analogous to R.J. Barrett. How uh, Robert Saleh is sort of analogous to Tom Thibodeau. And a bunch of other stuff. So we're going to get into all that next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland. And we don't have Gavin today. We decided to split up. We're doing a little. NFL crossover before the season. We did this last year and we really enjoyed it. So we decided to do it again this year. Let everybody know what's going on with the NFL teams in the area. Of course, the Giants, uh, which Gavin will be covering because he's a Giants fan. And I am taking on the task of talking with John Butchko, host of Locked on Jets. And uh, we debated on title beforehand. We landed on the czar of Gangry Nation uh, SV Nation. John, how are you doing today? And uh, it really, are you ready for the season and, and ready for some Jets football after all the crazy amount of turnover and everything else this offseason? Alex, it's great to chat with you again. And for those of you listening, I was trying to get Alex to call me the supreme allied commander of gangreennation.com. Uh, but I'm doing very well. Uh, I think it's an exciting time for the New York Jets and their fans. Now, we've been through a lot of new eras before. But we have a new team in place, a new head coach, obviously a new quarterback. And there's a lot of optimism around the direction this franchise is going in. Yeah. And, you know, I was I think I'll just lead with this because I was telling you right before we started recording. But there's you know, I, I know you're not a huge a huge Knicks guy, but you said you've even sort of noticed this this parallel. But I think that there's even more so than. Than with the Giants, who you know, I think are sort of on the upswing themselves to a degree, uh, depending on how Daniel Jones does and everything. But I think with the Jets right now, the way that the energy is around the team, the way that things went, you know, with the draft and free agency and and everything else, it just seems very similar to me to what happened with the Knicks over the last couple of years. Um, like for example, last year, you know, I think was sort of like the Jets version of the eighteen nineteen season for the Knicks where everything was leading up to the 2019 draft. You know, Zion Williamson was the the top target. Everybody wanted to draft Zion. The Knicks, you know, to their credit, tanked their butts off, wound up with the number one odds. And then, you know, thanks to the new lottery system, 
the odds were still, you know, against them in that, uh, that draft lottery. They end up at number three, which was initially disappointing for fans, I think, because uh, why wouldn't it be when there's a generational player sitting at the top? But then they end up with R.J. Barrett. And, I mean, speaking as someone who went through all that in real time at the time, you know, I had myself talked into R.J. Barrett pretty quickly because I saw the the potential in him and Duke. And, you know, I, I think a lot of Knicks fans immediately pivoted to, okay, well, there's no, you know, no Zion, no John Morant. We're going to be, you know, big R.J. Barrett fans now and support him through, you know, coming to the Knicks and, and, you know, just be there for him as a, as a fan base, as he kind of finds his footing. And I think there was sort of a similar thing with Jets fans this year where, you know, especially when you start off, what was it? How many, how many did they go straight? It was at 0 and 10 before they finally won that, that stupid game that, that pushed them ahead of the Jaguars. Uh, and just like, I don't know. I found as a Jets fan, that was the most deflating moment of last season where, it's like the only thing you could bank on was like, okay, Trevor Lawrence is coming. And then Adam Gase just had to like win one game to just kind of drive that final screw into your side there. But now the Jets fan, you know, Jets fans end up with Zach Wilson at number two in the draft. He's impressing a lot in preseason. I think there's a lot of optimism there. So before I get to to Robert Saleh and like the, the second part of this, this comparison, I mean, do you sort of see that comparison, John, between like RJ Barrett and Zach Wilson as sort of these like, I don't, I don't know how to put it like almost like at the at the moment that they were drafted they're almost like flawed saviors and that you know everybody was looking out for someone different but then you end up with the guy that you get and I think it's actually working out pretty good like Wilson I think looks really really good for the Jets so far through camp and preseason and everything else well I'll begin with the caveat that it always depends on how Wilson performs. It's always whenever you draft a player, you always are optimistic about him and it doesn't always work out. We were very optimistic about Sam Darnold. So I just want to throw that out there because Wilson has not yet taken his, his first professional snap in a real game. So I don't want to put him in Canton just yet in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that there, there's a lot of parallel between that situation with the Knicks and with the Jets. Now, last year, I don't think the Jets really were intentionally tanking, at least at the beginning of the season. It was just a very poorly constructed roster. There was a lot of there was a lot of dysfunction within the organization over the last few years that got us to this point. Lots of bad drafting. The Jets were trying to win games, at least early last season. And I think they continued to try and win games because, as you mentioned, they began last year 0-13. And then in December, they put together a two-game winning streak. So this was a team that was playing hard to the very end. And I think within the Jets fan base, you get to a cer- certain point where you're focused on Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence has been hyped ever since he set set foot on a football field at Clemson. I remember going back to 2019 talking with people and it was obvious Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number one pick in the draft whenever he became eligible. So I think you get to a certain point where you see in that season, it's not happening for the Jets. You're going to be picking very high and you you come to believe, hey, well, at least there's going to be a reason for this suffering. There's going to be a reason behind all of this losing. We're going to get Trevor Lawrence. And then, as you mentioned, the Jets go out to the Rams. They go out, beat the Rams in L.A. Really inexplicable. The Rams just did not take the Jets seriously in that game. And then in the second half, the Rams mounted a comeback. And this is the thing people forget. The reason the Jets won that game was that on a punt return in the fourth quarter, their punter made a touchdown-saving tackle. So you're watching this as a Jets fan, and you think, 
we're going to lose out on Trevor Lawrence because our punter made a tackle. The next week, the Jets beat the Cleveland Browns primarily because the Browns had pretty much no no receivers in that game. They had a big COVID outbreak among their wide receiver group. So the Jets beat Cleveland, who was a really good team last year. They ended up, they ended up making the playoffs, winning a playoff game in Pittsburgh. And you kind of look at this, and Jets fans have been through a lot of suffering through the years. I'm a Jets fan. I've been a Jets fan for almost 30 years. And you you just feel like nothing can ever go right for this franchise. But then you start to pay attention to some of the alternatives. And you look at this guy out of BYU, Zach Wilson, and you see the arm talent. You see the year he had. You see the playmaking ability. You see the accuracy. And slowly you become happier you feel like okay maybe this is okay maybe we're still going to get a very special talent and the thing about zach wilson is that there are a lot of years where he would have been the number one pick in the draft he just happened to enter in a year where there was a guy trevor lawrence who is as decorated as any prospect in recent memory and it's important to remember that just because trevor lawrence was the consensus number one quarterback that doesn't always mean that He's, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the best quarterback from this class. I have a different position, but I remember back in 2014, everybody thought there was going to be an iconic pass rusher in the draft that year. Everybody thought it was going to be Jadavian Clowney, who went number one overall to Houston. Well, there was an iconic pass rusher in that class. It was Khalil Mack, who went a few picks later to the Raiders. You never know exactly how these things are going to play out. And by the way, Jadavian Clowney ended up being a very good player. He just wasn't the first ballot Hall of Famer that Khalil Mack is. So you never know how these things are going to play out. But ultimately, I think now that we're about to enter this new season, Jets fans are very excited. And there's a lot to love about Zach Wilson. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I mean, I honestly came in as sort of a Wilson doubter in a way. So I I guess I'll ask you, was, was Wilson your guy at number two, like pretty much right away once you knew that that was where the Jets were going to be picking? So I had kind of a journey with Zach Wilson because after the Jets beat the Rams in that game and it became obvious they probably were not going to get Trevor Lawrence, I didn't know what to think because my entire offseason was built around the idea the Jets were getting Trevor Lawrence. So I have not really watched Zach Wilson that much. So I I remember I put on some of his film against Boise State and literally the first pass that I saw, he almost throws an interception to a defensive lineman. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> like this is what we're getting, but I eventually went down, went back and watched every snap Wilson played last year at BYU, and then I watched every snap Justin Fields played at Ohio State, who was viewed as the other option for the Jets with the second pick. And slowly, as I watched this, I began to really buy into Wilson because he has such special arm talent, and he's got this playmaking ability and this accuracy and. Listen, I think anybody entering the NFL, no matter what position you play, has some things to work on. It's not a guarantee that Wilson is going to be a great quarterback, but this is a heck of a starting point for him. When you when you bring in a guy with these kind of tools, this guy really is the limit. As much of it as much as that is a cliche, I think it's true in the case of Zach Wilson. Yeah, and I I think so too. I was honestly the guy that that really intrigued me the most was Trey Lance, who still intrigues me a lot, but I have a I have a friend who's a big Jets fan as well, and he was kind of like, I think they needed to go with Wilson because he's more ready to go than Lance. Like they couldn't do another year where they're just, you know, not where they're just kind of treading water, and you know they didn't have like a good, good enough, you know, 
carryover quarterback like the uh is as much as you know he he is the end of his Jets tenure was a great but like they don't have like a Fitzpatrick type like a passable starter that they could have put out there instead of Trey Lance to start the season and so the plan was kind of always like whoever we draft is going to be the starting quarterback going into the season and that that couldn't be Trey Lance despite all the the cool you know things with with his play uh to kind of sell you on him all right, we're going to take our first break. This episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. And let me tell you, Sweatblock has been one of my favorite products that we've ever had <laughs> come on the airwaves here. It has really changed how I can dress during these hot weather months. It has changed my confidence levels. It's really just been a total shot in the arm for me as far as this time of the year literally and figuratively, I guess. It's not actually a shot. It's a wipe. You take a wipe uh, from sweat block, you dab it on your underarms, you let it sit overnight, and then you wash off the excess in the morning, and then you're protected for seven days against all that unsightly pit sweat coming out of your armpits there. Sweat block wipes are doctor created and doctor recommended. They work, again, for up to seven days per use. It's truly blew my mind. I went to a wedding where it was like 100 degrees outside with no air conditioning in in a barn. And a lot of me sweat, but my pits did not, which was miraculous. It kept my shirt looking pretty decent all night. Uh, And they come with the dry shirt guarantee, which I certainly won't be cashing in on. If sweat block doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. My shirts have always been dry. So I, I'm definitely, I have no interest in the dry shirt guarantee because uh, I, I don't need to. The product works fantastic. You can wear what you want to wear with sweat block and it can be your little secret to confidence. No more, you know, going with black shirts over your favorite gray shirt during the summer because you're worried that, you know, you're going to get those huge pit stains that everybody can see even when your arms are down. I certainly had those plenty of times. So uh, you, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's all a thing of the past with sweat block. If you want to get some for yourself, you can get 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on or check out sweatblock at Amazon and CVS. And today's show is also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle. And a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. And with that, we'll get right back into some Jets and Knicks talk with John Bushko right now. I want to keep investigating that, the the sort of corollary between the two teams, because the other thing that I see that that stands out to me, and it was basically just like two pillars, I guess. And maybe there's something to be said for the drafting, too, which we'll get in a minute. But um I think that Soleil, Robert Soleil at coach for the Jets, I feel very similar energy to what the Knicks got when they signed Tibbs last year, uh, Tom Thibodeau, in that he seems like a a no-nonsense coach. Like he's not 
uh, you know, he's not on uh, there's, I know there's constant comparisons drawn between him and judge for the giants and how judge is like a, uh, you know, people think that Soleil is like throwing, uh, <laughs> throwing shots at judge, despite the fact that he's answering like direct questions that are meant to <laughs> create that impression. Um, but you know, like judge is the like push ups and run laps type. And Soleil is like, look, I trust these guys. They're grown men. And, you know, if they put in the work, then they'll be rewarded. If not, then they won't, you know, and that's that. And I'm not going to force them to to work for me by, you know, to putting them through running drills like they're 13 years old or whatever. Um, but I just think that in general, it seems like at least so far, and of course, we'll see how things go throughout the season, but it seems like the players are are vibing with what Soleil is putting out there and and they seem to be buying in. And I know that happens with a, a lot of new coaches and it's happened with the Jets in the past. I never really got that vibe with Gase, if I'm being honest. And I never understood the Gase hire from minute one. Um, <laughs> kind of similar to how I, I never quite understood uh, the David Fisdale hire uh, for the Knicks. So I guess that's another corollary between these two teams. They're coming off of a, a terrible head coach and going to someone that looks like they can maybe turn the ship around. But What's your what's your thought been on Soleil so far and how he's been running things for the Jets and you know what do you think it, what do you like do you think does it seem like the players are buying in with him does it seem like you know maybe he's going to be the guy that finally fixes the Jets and gets them to a place where you know they can at least be like a team that is competing and isn't like actively uh harmed by their coach <laughs> like they were during the Gase era I that is certainly the hope and I'm with you I really liked the hire of Robert Sala at the time and as you mentioned I really do think the players are buying in to an extent they did not under Adam Gase now there's a new roster essentially for the Jets when you go two and 14 you have to turn over a lot of your roster and that's what the Jets have done so you have a lot of new faces in here but there was a, there was this one st- thing that was kind of a staple of Adam Gase's tenure with both the Jets and the Dolphins It's that high-profile players would leave the team on very bad terms. The player would do an interview after they arrive at their new team. They talk about how terrible their relationship was with Adam Gase. And Gase would then respond with shock that he couldn't believe that. He thought the relationship was good. And it kind of showed you how out of touch Adam Gase was with his locker room. I go back to Robert Sala's introductory press conference with the Jets. And he said something that I don't think I've ever heard a coach in any sport say before when he was talking about his relationship with his players, how he was going to build trust. And he said that his goal was to make sure that his players got big contracts when the time came for that, whether it was with the Jets or somebody else. And it was a very selfless answer because he mentioned that these, these players may get paid by another team because obviously like the NBA, there's a salary cap in the NFL. In fact, the NFL salary caps, a hard cap, which makes it even more difficult to hold on to all your players than it, than it is in the NBA. And it just amazed me that there was a co- there's a coach out there who sees things through the eyes of the players. He sees what the player's motivation is. And of course, the players want to win. Of course, the players want to build a cohesive locker room. But ultimately, for these guys, it is a job, and it's very easy to lose track of. And the fact that Salah understands what motivates these guys, I think it explains why he has such a positive relationship with these players and why people are so optimistic. Now, of course, it's going to come down to wins and losses. This is not a guy who has ever been a head coach in the NFL before. And that is that is one distinction distinction between Salah and Tibbs. Tibbs obviously had success as a head coach in this league before he came to the Knicks. But 
Alex, I'm going to bring a third New York team into this mix right now. But because all the last couple of years, I've thought a lot about the New York Islanders. And the Islanders were a team that was on the bottom of the NHL for a long time. They were very dysfunctional. And practically overnight, things changed when they brought in Lou Lamorello to run their front office and when they brought in Barry Trotz as their head coach. And I was thinking about this with the Knicks. I was thinking about this with the Jets. It's amazing how quickly things can turn around when you get the right people in charge. And it seems like the Knicks are moving in the right direction. I was also thinking back to when we spoke a year ago, we were talking about how the Knicks and Jets had both had long stretches where things were very difficult on the fans. The teams were not winning. Now it seems like the Knicks are really turning things around. Hopefully the Jets are heading in the same direction. I like a lot of the moves that they're making. It feels like there's a direction to the Jets there hasn't been in a long time. You know, we'll, we'll see how things move. But it feels like for the first time in a while, both of our teams, the Knicks and the Jets, may have the right people in place. And things are going to start looking very different very quickly. All right, we're going to take our second break, and this episode is brought to you by Built Bar, which is the best-tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There really is something for everyone. Let me list them all out for you. You have your choice of coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint chocolate, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate anytime on Built.com. They're all fantastic flavors. I've tried them all, but you guys know my favorites are cookies and cream and coconut. They taste just like candy bars coated in chocolate. Just a fantastic experience to have for a protein bar compared to the chalky or dry alternatives with some of the other bars out there. They're nice and chewy, taste just like a candy bar. Fantastic. But they do not come with that candy bar guilt of having all of like a half a day's worth of calories and fat in one little tiny, you know, bar of, of chocolate and nougat and whatever built bars are good for you. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein calories ranging from only 130 to 180 per bar, along with only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs. So you're really not going to find a better ratio anywhere than that for your protein bar. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And this episode is also brought to you by betonline.ag. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest, and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Make sure to head to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus with promo code Locked On. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports, from football, basketball, and boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Again, you can get a 100% welcome bonus at betonline.ag right now with promo code locked on. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and now back into it for some more football talk with John Butchko of Locked On Jets. I agree. I, I think that Douglas, you know, at the top has made a huge difference, just like Leon Rose for the Knicks has made a huge difference. And just, I mean, for Douglas, it's only been a couple of years for 
for Leon Rose, it's only been a year. I mean, he's only run, uh, he's run two drafts, um, you know, and this year's draft seemed to go pretty well, despite the fact we haven't seen uh, the two newest Knicks, uh, Quentin Grimes and Deuce McBride take, you know, actual NBA reps yet, but their summer league went great. You know, everything seems to be falling into place for the Knicks. Their, their two picks last year, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin seem to have loads of potential as well. So, I, that kind of leads me, I wanted to talk about Douglas a bit and his drafting strategy because, you know, so I, I'm I'm pretty up on the NBA salary cap. So when things happen in the NBA that are clever salary cap moves, I, I'm always the, one of the first people to be like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's a really good move. Like, that's, uh, you know, really going to buy them some flexibility going down the stretch, whatever. The NFL salary cap, and I mean, I know that there are even NFL salary cap people out there you know that like follow the cap that just go like a lot of the nfl salary cap is just magic like the fact that like the saints for years were able to sign any players despite the fact that they had like 40 million in dead cap just sitting at any given time is you know just kind of a testament to like there's always a way to find that money in the nfl it seems like um and i guess the same could be said for the nba because a lot of that stuff happens in the nba too where people go oh there's no way that such a such team can sign a player. And then two days later, it's like, oh, they agreed to a sign and trade because the player said he would only go to that team. So they just worked something out and the player got there. Um, so I know that there's some of that going on in the NFL too, where you just kind of find a way. But the thing that's really impressed me with Douglas through his first couple of years on the job with drafting has been the fact that he locked up three of the most high value positions in the NFL to rookie contracts. And has that flexibility now for the next four in the case of Beckton and five in the case of uh, Wilson and Vera Tucker this year, years to like figure this out and build a team, you know, and, and use that cap space that he's afforded to like build a team that can potentially compete even on Zach Wilson's rookie contract potentially. And so what have you thought about that, that whole thing, you know, of how he's approached the draft? I know that there's been, you know, a couple of a couple of picks already that he like cut bait on early. And some people might say that's a negative, And I would say that's a positive to me. I, I think that there's something to be said for being willing to just say, OK, this isn't working and just cut bait on someone instead of wasting, you know, time and practice reps and money and everything else on, on trying to fix guys that just clearly were not a good pick. But, you know, as far as how he's done the top part of the draft, I mean, Becton looks phenomenal. Wilson is looking pretty good so far. I think Vera Tucker, you know, is is looking pretty good as well so far. Those are three, I mean, left tackle, left guard, quarterback. Those are three of the most important positions on a football field, especially on offense, and three of the most expensive positions when you just look at the amount of money that gets thrown around in free agency or, or just, you know, contract uh, uh, extensions and all that. Those are the positions that are traditionally making uh, probably the most money in the NFL. I mean, if, if not close to it. So what have you thought about the, you know, Douglas's strategy over these first couple of years and, and how that's sort of set the Jets up for the future here? A lot of good points I think you made there, Alex. Now, when you talk about the quarterback position in the NFL, there is no greater advantage than having a quarterback on a rookie contract, because after you draft a player, the first four years, the contract is artificially low, at least relative to what impact players at a given position are making. For a veteran quarterback, you may be paying around $30 million a year to retain his services. Jets will be paying around a third of that 
over the first four years of Zach Wilson's career. So you get the quarterback, but you get it, you get him at a steep discount, which means that other 20 million or so, and maybe a little bit more you can use to build up the rest of your roster. And that was one of the factors I think in the decision to move on from Sam Darnold, not the only one Darnold struggled quite a bit. Wilson comes in. He, is a guy I think the Jets really fell in love with during the scouting process. In fact, I think the decision was just as much about the Jets loving Zach Wilson as it was that they were ready to move on from Sam Darnold. If the Jets were picking number 10 in the draft and they had the third or fourth choice of quarterbacks, Wilson wasn't available. They may have gone with another year of Darnold, but I do think the finances play a big factor. Darnold was entering the fourth year and final year of his cheap rookie contract. Now in the NFL, you do get a fifth year option for first round picks, but it's much more expensive than the first four years. So the Jets now have this four year window where they're going to have a cheap quarterback. And if Wilson plays well, he's going to be a big discount. And as I said, you, Joe Douglas, who's the Jets general manager, was in Philadelphia when they won the, the Super Bowl. He was the general manager there, Howie Roseman's right hand man. And that situation shows you how valuable the rookie contract can be because they had Carson Wentz on his rookie deal and they were Ill, able to build such a strong roster with the excess money that. Even after Wentz got hurt, they were they were able to win the Super Bowl with their backup quarterback, and it was based on the strength of the, the that roster. So, absolutely, when you look at the NFL, biggest advantage you can have in team building is a quality quarterback on a rookie deal. Now, on the offensive line, let me give you an amazing stat that some Jets, some people who are listening out there who are Jets fans probably know. The Jets went 14 years between investing first round picks in the offensive line. In 2006, they had two first round picks. They used both of them on offensive linemen, Debrickashaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold. Both great players for the franchise. Both spent their entire careers with the Jets. Both lasted a decade. In Mangold's case, I think he lasted 11 years. Guys who were rock solid on the offensive line. In the early Rex Ryan years, 2009-2010, the Jets had the best offensive line in football. It slowly deteriorated over time. The Jets did not invest in the offensive line, and the unit was a mess the last few years. And that was one of the things that played into Darnold's demise. In today's NFL, I don't think it's just that offensive line is expensive. And you're absolutely right to say that, Alex. It's a great point that the Jets are now going to get, if Becton and Vera Tucker pan out, that they're going to get quality play again at a discount. But it's also that it's tough to find quality offensive line in today's NFL. And there's just been a scarcity. Um, It's become a position that's very difficult to develop. There are lots of reasons behind that. But the best offensive linemen tend to not make it to free agency. And that means if you want to build a quality offensive line, you have to invest in the draft. And if these guys pan out, hopefully they'll get second contracts with the Jets. But the same principle applies with Wilson. This is a big window that the Jets have. It's a big opportunity these next four years when you have all of these guys you hope will be impact players on cheap contracts. It gives you a chance to invest in other positions this offseason. It gives you extra money to find quality. And by you know, I'm not sure how great the Jets are going to be this year, but by next year or maybe 2023, you'll, you may begin to see the fruits of that. Yeah, yeah. To your point, I mean, the offensive line. I feel like the Jets for years operated under the uh, the principle of like drafting offensive line in the first round, like isn't the sexy pick, you know? So like they didn't go, they didn't go for that because offensive linemen. It's 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 never the sexy pick, but it's the necessary pick sometimes. You know, like some of the best teams in the league have built their teams by you know taking a lot of 
offensive line players in the early parts of the draft because like if you can build that up then you can give your quarterback time and you can make even a a decent quarterback look you know really good if you give him tons and tons of time to throw the ball uh and you can make a a pretty decent quarterback prospect like a Sam Darnold look bad if he doesn't have a lot of uh time to throw the ball which to your point you know he didn't under the Jets previous offensive line that they really didn't invest much into other than just some free agent dollars here and there. But, you know, again, it's, it's like offensive linemen, they get paid, you know, they know they can get paid. So they just, if they're comfortable with the team that they're on, they just re up with them. And, you know, if you're drafted to a functional organization and you start winning because you're part of the, uh, what happens, you know, on the offensive line to, uh, create a good environment for winning, then why would you want to sign somewhere else if you're already comfortable there with your coach and whatever else? So yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, um, a good building block, I think for the jets going forward is shoring up that, that offensive line. Um, I'm trying to think of where I want to go next. Honestly, I think his name has come up a couple of times. So I do want to, I want to touch on the real quick, like at the end, we could touch on the receiving core. Cause that's maybe one of my, areas of somewhat concern for this year, but not necessarily going forward. Um, and the defense, because obviously, I mean, that's <laughs> sort of the new coach's calling card is defense. Um, but what I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think about Darnold as well. You know, he's, I, I, I feel bad for saying this, but my first thought when he got traded <laughs> was essentially like, oh good, I don't have to keep talking myself into him being good. <laughs> because, I just, I don't know. I mean, to your point, he wasn't exactly put in the best environment. The Jets have not had a good receiving core. Like, or, okay, let's not put it that way. Because Robbie Anderson, as we've seen, was actually actually pretty solid. Um, and Crowder, you know, I think was a good pickup when they made that that uh, signing and all that stuff. But uh, by and large, he, he never had the best receiving core. He never really had a, a great running back that could stay healthy. Because, like, Le'Veon Bell, it was, you know, he had, like, some issues with staying healthy and just also got old and you know the the tread kind of wore off the tires there it seemed like and you know the offensive line wasn't great but with Darnold I just feel like there was there were so many flashes but there were also so many red flags that would pop up all the time and you know it seemed a very game to game he would play one game and you would be like wow this is this is definitely a top you know, a top pick in the draft. You know, I understand why they took him so high now and, you know, why he had all this, all this hype coming out of, out of college and everything else. And then he would play another game and you go, Oh my God, this guy is really not good. Like he, (laughs) he makes terrible decisions. I don't understand, you know, why the jets invested so much in him. And you know, it was just sort of this, this dance for me of like, he's good. He's bad. He's good. He's bad. I, how did, how did you feel about Darnold's tenure overall now that it's, I mean, obviously it's over with and um, they're actually, you know, getting, I guess both sides will get sort of a, a weird bit of closure uh, this weekend because it, it turns out the Jets are opening at Carolina. So, you know, it'll be Wilson versus Darnold week one. I mean, it, what do you think about Darnold overall and his tenure with the Jets now that it's it's all finished up and we've kind of moved on to Zach Wilson here? I think it's difficult to separate what was Darnold's fault from what was the Jets' fault because, as you mentioned, they did not put him in a position to succeed. In fact, if you look across the NFL, the quarterbacks who succeed are the ones whose teams build around them. They invest to make sure that they they have a good offensive line or a good receiving core, that they're in a good system. The Jets did none of these things. In fact, the Jets did the opposite. The Jets essentially 
asked Sam Darnold to bail them out from all of their organizational failures. And you could even, it was very subtle, but you could even hear the way the owner talked about it. You could hear the way the former general manager talked about it. They said, well, we have Sam. Whenever something went wrong, well, we have Sam. And that's just not something you could put on a quarterback that young. I think that any quarterback would have had a tough time in this situation. You know, you look at how great Josh Allen has become in Buffalo. If you put him into an Adam Gase offense where he's throwing three-yard slot out routes to Braxton Berrios the way Darnold was, I'm not sure he develops the same way. At the same time, I'm not sure Darnold develops into an MVP candidate if you put him in Buffalo the way Josh Allen has. I think in a situation like that, ultimately there's blame that has to go around. And I think as much as anything, Darnold was kind of, Darnold kind of sunk with the organization. I think he was just overwhelmed by the failure. Last season, it seemed like clockwork. He'd always play like a decent first quarter, but you knew that the killer turnover was right around the corner. Like he'd fumble on a sack or he'd throw a big interception that would flip field position and give the other team a, a, a score. He just got to a point where it seemed like he was defeated mentally, that the all the losing, all of the difficulty, all of the pressure he was under got to him. And when the Jets made their decision this offseason, something I said frequently on Locked On Jets is, you know, back in 2018 when the Jets drafted Darnold, he was a good prospect. There was a chance for him to be very successful with the Jets. The problem is that even when you get rid of Adam Gase, even when you build a better better receiving core, hopefully a better offensive line, you're not going, you know, you can't turn back the clock. It's not 2018 anymore. He had three years of bad habits that were built in. He needed a guy who could come in who could build an offense around his strengths. He needed the he needed somebody who could help him develop more consistent for, footwork, which was a consi- which was a perennial issue with him. He did not get that. And I think that sometimes we forget that things can go either way when a quarterback's drafted. But once they go down that path, it's very difficult to fix. Would Darnold have been better off in a different situation? I think he probably would have been, but the, the path he was on led him to a point where he's essentially a reclamation project at this point. Carolina essentially has to rebuild him from the very beginning. They have to go back to square one. And I think that that's another thing that probably played into the decision to move on for the Jets is that you're not going back. You don't just reset the clock. There are three years of bad things that he's going to have to overcome, both mentally and physically. And it's going to be very difficult for him going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and go figure. You have to unlearn all the things that QB whisperer uh, Adam Gase uh, <laughs> drilled into him over the course of a couple years. So, yeah, not uh, not great. And I, I'm certainly rooting for him in Carolina, especially because it's nice when when you know he gets traded, complete, not even just out of division but out of conference. He's essentially, you know, you can you can safely root for Sam Darnold as a Jets fan and not have it come back and bite you too often. Um, so it's I hope the best for him because I always thought that he did have, you know, he definitely has potential, but you're right. I mean, I think that it was just sort of the weight of expectations, the weight of being the Jets starting quarterback. I mean, I, I really it's it's tough. I mean, it's kind of similar to, you know, to draw the parallel to the Knicks again. You know, every single Knicks draft pick for years, no matter where they were drafted or what the typical outcome was from that spot was greeted with this tag of like, you're the new franchise savior. And if you're not, then you're trash, you know, and, and we ran through this with a number of draft picks that were, you know, ultimately like pretty good, but not fantastic. Like Frank Nilakina is a huge lightning rod among Knicks fans. For some reason, he got taken in the top 10 of the draft and, you know, 
all along was kind of billed as like, you know, he's probably never going to be a superstar, but he, it, there's a really decent chance that he's going to turn into a great role player, you know, perhaps a point guard, perhaps a wing, whatever. And, you know, he, he might just be like a really good defensive three and D guy or something in the NBA. And people turn that into then, well, you know, he's not a superstar by like year two. So he's trash. Like he's, he's the worst player ever. And, you know, I, I think that that sort of, there's that weight of expectations when you come in and you're the new starting quarterback for the Jets because there's been so much turnover um, at that position for them, you know, so quickly over over the course of the last like seven, eight years that, you know, that it's just it, it's a tough situation to walk into. Luckily, I think Zach Wilson seems like he's pretty primed for the moment. And as you've mentioned a number of times, they've actually gone out of their way to build a good infrastructure for him uh, to walk into. So hopefully he'll be able to develop good habits, you know, and maybe see some winning his first year, even if they're not a, a huge, you know, they don't have like a huge winning season or anything. Hopefully he'll at least be able to develop some of those habits and, you know, also have sort of a sympathetic fan base on his side where the fa- I think most fans now realize, you know, the direction this team is going, that they're probably still a few years away you know, nothing's going to come immediately, but they're they're doing the right things at least. So there's no rush to have things fall into place because it's like, oh, we only have this much cap space for this year, and like we have to use it now, or else, you know, that you know, there's not going to be another opportunity like this again, and and all that stuff. So um, to move to the other part, I mean, this goes into the Jets' weapons, and we'll talk about this, and then the defense, and then uh, I'll let you go, but. The the receiving core, I think, is one thing that I was really intrigued to see how it was going to shape out this offseason. I think it's one part of the Jets that has been consistently meh ever since, like, I don't know, I guess Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. I mean, it's it's been a while um, since they've had some, like, A1 talent at wide receiver. Uh, you could even say, I mean, Robbie Anderson had a great year with Carolina last year, but... I, I think that he is a better route runner than he gets given credit for, but he's mostly a burner. You know, they haven't had like that, that traditional number one wide receiver in quite some time now. And so they go out this off season, they get Corey Davis in free agency. Um, they draft Elijah Moore in the second round, which I think by and large seems like it was a great value pick. Uh, it seems like everybody at the time said, wow, I can't believe the Jets got him at this spot. I think that's going to be a great, you know, situation for him. It was just a really deep wide receiver class. And that's why he even fell that far. Um, and then I, I think people keep forgetting about him, but I, I think Denzel Mims showed a good amount of potential last year too. And I'm really intrigued to see if he gets that year two bump this year and, you know, can show some more uh, on that end than he did in his rookie season. But what, what are your thoughts on the Jets receiving core this year? Cause I know it's been, I mean, for me, I've just been like, dying for years to have another like number one wide receiver, like a true number one wide receiver, because it just seems like forever the Jets have just kind of had this, this patchwork at wide receiver. And that was again, a large part of what kind of doomed Sam Darnold to the fate that he eventually had. Yeah. And I'm not sure that you necessarily have the kind of impact player that Brandon Marshall was back in 2015. That's, I've no, I don't think I've ever. That's a high seen, bar. That's a high right. bar. I, 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 I don't think, think. I think Brandon Marshall is like one of the best wide receivers to ever play football. If I'm being honest, like he was fantastic. But yeah, I, I can't remember another Jets wide receiver in all the years I've been watching who had an impact like that. But 
this is an upgraded position group. When we talked about Darnold, I said it's difficult to separate what was Darnold's fault from what was the Jets' fault. And that goes back to how poorly they surrounded him with quality playmakers. If Zach Wilson fails, I think it's I'm pretty confident in saying it's going to be because of Zach Wilson. There's not going to be that degree of ambiguity because I think the Jets have done a good job making sure he has quality guys to throw the ball to. You've got Corey Davis, as you mentioned, who they got in free agency from Tennessee. They got Elijah Moore, as you mentioned in the draft. Elijah Moore was having a huge training camp. Now he suffered an injury, which made him miss the preseason, but Everybody was raving about him. Everybody was talking about it. it. Didn't matter who it was. They the Jets were expecting big things from him right off the bat. Denzel Mims is interesting. He had a bout with food poisoning in the offseason. He lost some weight. People around the team are talking about how that kind of set him back. And it's not clear what his role is going to be early in the season. They may work him back in slowly, but that's okay this year because the Jets also have depth at the wide receiver position. They have Jamison Crowder, who's back. He's been a quality slot receiver. The other thing was they got him to take a pay cut. He's now making about half against the cap of what he originally was set to make. And that goes back to the front office being smarter than the guys who were there years a couple of years ago because Jamison Crowder is a nice player. He was set to make $11 million against the cap this year. That's a little bit too much for what he brings to the table. The Jets were able to get him to cut that in about half. Now his pay is a little bit more commensurate with what he brings. That's a quality slot receiver. He's a guy you can rely on on third and short, third and medium to help move the chains. He's going to be a professional running his routes. And unlike last year, he's not the go-to guy. If Jamison Crowder is your go-to guy, you're in some trouble on offense. If he's like your third or fourth option, you can go to situationally out of the slot. You're building a good receiving core. Not only that, they got Keelan Cole from Jacksonville this offseason in free agency. Now, Keelan Cole is not a great player, but he's got some versatility. He can play in the slot. He can move outside. Good in contested catch situations, which seem to be plays Zach Wilson likes to make. He's a good depth player. Last year, the Jets had a lot of injuries at wide receiver, and they were bringing guys like Chris Hogan, who... Did, wasn't even signed, I think, at the beginning of training camp. He was getting big snaps early in the season for this team because they just had nowhere else to go. Not only is this Jets wide receiver group good this year, it's also deep. They can withstand an injury. Now, you'd rather have Corey Davis out there than Keelan Cole. You'd rather have Elijah Moore out there than Keelan Cole. But Keelan Cole's a professional receiver, and if you need to use him, it's not going to be the same situation as running out a Chris Hogan last year. You're going to have faith that he's going to go out there and do a professional job. So I think the Jets have done a really good job at the wide receiver position this offseason. I think in the course of one year, it's been upgraded a lot. Yeah, I agree. I And, and I'm really excited to see, I mean, especially more. I, I'm really excited to see how that works out because I, I do think that he was a, a, a good value pick. And I know rookie wide receivers, it's sometimes, you know, it's an uphill climb. You know, the, it, typically wide receivers don't really start showing their best stuff until second or even third or sometimes even fourth year you know in the league because it just takes a while to adjust but I, I like that pick a lot and you know honestly I always forget about Crowder as well because it's kind of easy to take the the lunch pail slot guy for granted but for a rookie quarterback that's going to be super valuable um, because the you know when you can when you can have a reliable guy that's always going to run his route in the on those short crossing routes and whatever that's always great for a quarterback that maybe initially we'll struggle with some of the deeper reads and stuff like that and can just have that dump off valve to, to go to. So uh, it, hopefully he'll have a great year as well. 
Uh, lastly, we'll talk about the the defense and then just overall expectations. Uh, so as far as the defense goes, they lost Carl Lawson uh, just like I think about two weeks ago now to a torn Achilles, which is a huge blow because that was a guy that they were expecting a lot from. They did manage to pivot right away and get Shaq Lawson in there. Uh, what do you, I mean, that's just one position that they managed to kind of plug the hole on with, uh, you know, on the defensive line, but what's your overall take on the, the Jets defense this year? Like what are your expectations from them going into this year when they obviously, I mean, I think, (laughs) I think they were probably better than the, than the record suggested last year. They were just unfortunately on the field a lot and that will wear down any defense. Um, but I think that traditionally, you know, if you can sort of count on one thing from the Jets, it's always been that their defense will typically be at least passable. Um, so what are you thinking about their uh, their defense this year, especially with the defensive reputation of their new coach coming from San Francisco? You know, Alex, it's tough to say. I think there are lots of wild cards on this defense. As you mentioned, they lost Carl Lawson, and that's a big loss. They were really depending on him to be the top pass rusher on this team. Now, if you look at Lawson's career, the sack totals aren't that high, but he generates a ton of pressure. And I was speaking a few weeks back. I was doing an interview talking about the Jets, and it was actually on the Locked On podcast network. It was with uh, Peter Bukowski of Locked On Today. And I think Peter said it perfectly. He said, you may look at the box scores and not see a lot of sacks from Carl Lawson, but the people in the NFL know how good Carl Lawson is. So it's a big, it's going to be tough to replace him. The, as you mentioned, the Jets did trade for Shaq Lawson. I think that was a good move. They did not give up much. They only gave up, gave up a sixth round pick to get him. Shaq Lawson's a quality player. He's certainly an upgrade over what the Jets were going to have to put out there. He's not going to replace everything that Carl Lawson provided. Now you look across this defense. You have Quinnen Williams, who's a guy who looks like he's, he was developing into a, a star at the second half of last season. Things were really, really beginning to come together for him. You began to see why the Jets drafted him third overall in 2019. Beyond that, it's very difficult to know what to expect. You have C.J. Mosley returning at linebacker. He was a guy who was a pro bowler year after year in Baltimore. Jets got him two years ago on a big money free agent deal. His first season was kind of a lost year. He suffered an injury playing a great for, first game against Buffalo, but in the second half of that game, he suffered a groin injury, only played one more game that year. Last year, he opted out. It's difficult to know what to expect from a guy who's essentially missed two seasons. You look at the group of corners, Jets have a bunch of first and second year guys. In fact, I think outside of Justin Hardy, who is not going to play corner, the Jets got him from New Orleans this offseason to play special teams. But outside of him, every single corner on the Jets roster is either a first year player or a second year player. And these are also late round picks. The Jets really seem to believe in their coaching staff's ability to coach these guys up. We'll see. I think it's a very difficult way to go on this side of the ball. Uh, They have a couple rookies that they're converting from safety to linebacker. Guys who played safety in college who are going to play linebacker in Robert Salah's scheme. You have Hansa Nasruddin. He's probably the primary guy. It looks like he's going to be in a starting role. I think you're going to see... Some weeks where the Jets struggle, you got a lot of young guys. They're going to make mistakes. Not all of these guys are going to hit. It's going to be a unit where you hope that things begin to come together later in the season, but there was a big overhaul this offseason. I think that there probably are going to be some growing pains. Not all of these guys are going to hit. You know, some of these, not everybody who starts for the Jets this year is going to be a long term player with them. 
it's almost as much as anything. They want to gauge what they have, what they can build with going forward, and maybe address some of the weaknesses in the offseason. All right. Well, I think this is a good note to to start wrapping up on. Last thing I'll say is just what is your I know this is such a broad strokes thing, but what are what are your expectations for the Jets this year? What are what are you looking to see from them? It could be record wise, or you could just say wins and losses don't matter. This is just like what I'm looking to see, but like what's sort of your your expectation for this year? I think wins and losses don't matter to a certain extent. Look, if this team wins two games again, it's very difficult for this season to be anything other than a failure. You you do want to see improvement. I don't think this is a playoff team. I don't think expectations could be a playoff team. This is probably going to be the youngest team in the NFL. That means, as I just mentioned in the question about defense, there are going to be some growing pains. What I'm hoping for is, first of all, for this team to look like it belongs on an NFL field. There were too many weeks last year where this did not look like an NFL caliber team. More than that, you want Zach Wilson to look like he belongs in the league, You know, maybe look like a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Anything else would be a nice bonus. I think you want to see the team improve as the season goes on. The template I've always used over the course of the offseason was I want the Jets this year to kind of look like the Browns, Baker Mayfield's rookie year. That was a year where the Browns were coming off an 0-16 season. And it's not a perfect parallel because the Browns got off to a terrible start in part because they had dysfunction on their coaching staff and they had to make a coaching change. There's not going to be a coaching change for the Jets midseason. But near the end of that season, Baker Mayfield really began to come on. You, you began to feel like, OK, this the Browns found their quarterback. Some of the, their other young players began to really step up. And by December of that year, if you were a team fighting for a playoff spot, you did not want to see the Cleveland Browns on their on your schedule. And the Browns had a losing record that year, but you really felt like things were moving in the right direction. It's difficult to put a number on it, a win total. You know, my guess would probably be somewhere in the five, six, seven win win range. But I think by December, you'll have a good sense of whether the Jets really feel like they're moving in the right direction. And to me, that's what the success or failure of this season is based on. Yeah, I agree. It should be all about feel this year more so than wins and losses, because you know, I, I feel like the Jets will probably have, if things fall in, in place properly, they'll probably have a decent number of close losses, you know, to good teams. And those will be encouraging in their own way. You know, as long as they're not getting blown out anymore and losing by 25 points, I think it'll be pretty hard to have a, a disappointing year this year. Uh, but John, thanks so much for, for coming on, talking Jets with me. You know, I was saying before we started recording, I don't often get to talk Jets. So I was happy to... Uh, have this be a very jet centric episode, even though we drew some parallels to the Knicks or whatever. Uh, but do you have, do you want to let everybody know one more time where to find your work? You can also use your preferred title for gangrene nation, whatever it is that you want to, you want to call yourself for there. And uh, yeah, just let everybody know where to find you before we sign off. Yep. Uh, you can find my work at gangrenenation.com. It is SB Nation's Jets website. You know, Alex calls me the czar. I call myself the supreme allied commander. I think SB Nation actually calls me the team brand manager, but head over there. That's where I do my writing on the Jets. And of course, the Locked on Jets podcast, where if you enjoyed all of this insight, you could get that and so much more uh, five days a week on Locked On Jets, so definitely check that out. Wherever. Make sure make sure it's the Locked On New York Jets because we do have a Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. That's that's you don't true. Want to hear don't hockey. Make, <laughs> yeah, don't make that mistake. Yes, <laughs> I would imagine there's not a ton of crossover between uh, basketball fandom and hockey fandom because they go at the same time. So that would be. 
that would be a rude awakening uh, to check out the the Winnipeg Jets one. They'd go, what am I listening to? So yes, look for Locked On New York Jets, to be clear. But John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate all the time. And uh, again, the opportunity to talk Jets for a little bit. My pleasure, Alex. Love to do it again sometime soon. <laughs>